I'm your host, Ken Lane, and this is the show where I bring on stellar guests from across the API universe to discuss, debate, and solve the latest topics around APIs and API first. All right, here we are, another episode of Breaking Changes, where we dive into the latest API issues that business leadership should be thinking about. I'm Ken Lane. I'm your host of Breaking Changes. I'm also the chief evangelist at Postman, and I'm working my way through many different companies, brands, and business sectors to find the latest folks who have the knowledge we're looking for when it comes to the, the business, the, the technology, and, and the politics of APIs. And today I have Rob Dickinson with me from Resurface Labs. Rob lives and breathes APIs. He's worked at Intel, Dell, Quest Software, and he's really tuned into the layer of APIs that I find fascinating, helping us kind of see what's happening in this very abstract layer, bringing more observability to what's happening. Thanks for joining us today, Rob. Thanks so much for having me. Pleasure to be here. Yeah, this is a, I really like what, what Resurface is doing because it, for me, APIs are really, you know, I see them, I see them everywhere. But for, for many of us, and especially the more APIs we have, we have hundreds or thousands of APIs now, it's really difficult to see what's going on. So to get going here, let's start with the basics. What is Resurface Labs and what do y'all do? That's a great That's a great place to start. So what we're really solving for is the need for observability around APIs, especially for companies that are going through digital transformations where they're moving assets for, that used to be website-based to now API-based. Um, you know, that's something that we're hearing over and over again. Um, a, a lot of that is taking APIs that used to be internal and also exposing them to outside parties. So that could be customers or partners or integrators. Um, and in some sense, it, it's really, it's, it's the erasure of the traditional boundaries um, that that we think about and perimeters that that we think about, you know, there with with a with a truly API first um, architecture, there isn't really a a concept of inside and outside anymore, or at least that that concept is, you know, significantly degraded and fuzzy compared to how it used to be, and that's really what we're doing with Resurface. Um, there's there's a lot of tools, monitoring tools that are well geared towards system monitoring or website monitoring. Not really as many yet that really have that API first perspective, and that's where we're we're really trying to lead with with Resurface. Much needed uh, view on the space. So to kind of set the evolution here, I mean we have websites have been evolving for you know the last 20, 25 years, and we've got analytics and all of that. And then in 2010-ish, you know, we saw a lot of API management providers step up with, with reporting at the management layer. Who has access to your APIs? What are your error rates? How does this observability layer evolve those concepts? Yeah, so so somebody who's been in, in APM and, and observability, you know, web monitoring for, for a long time, um, it's really about the data. It's really about the databases that, that are behind these things. When, when you roll back the clock and, and you're looking at APM you know, 10, 15 years ago, the, the way that we did APM is we would, we would record these traces and, and we would fit them to a statistical model. And you would throw away a lot of the fidelity. You, you, you know, big data hadn't happened yet. So the idea of, of being able to keep every trace or keep a database of everything that, that had happened was, was really not, not practical, um, certainly not affordable in, in the way that it is today. And that's really the, the shift. So you look at you know, APM vendors that really focus on um, observability, like Honeycomb, for example, like really what that means is that they're storing all of their traces and they're keeping all those traces in a database where you can go back, you can slice that, slice and dice that data after the fact. We're doing the same thing with Resurface. We're sitting up one level um, from the system. We're not really looking at system health. We're looking at the actual API traffic. Here's the input to your API. 
here's how your API responded, and creating a database out of those conversations. And for me, observability, it's not, you know, it, it's the process of doing that, um, but doing that with keeping all of the fidelity or as much as possible, uh, the, the fidelity in all the original traces. So you're not downsampling to a statistical model, you're not downsampling to a host-based model, you're not downsampling to like a data flow-driven model of who's talking to what, um, but you're actually trying to, to record all, all the conversations. Um, one of the analogs in the physical world, you know, we're used to seeing this all the time in the physical world. You know, if I call my stockbroker and I buy stock over the phone, you hear that robot voice that says your call may be recorded for quality assurance. That's an observability solution. <laughs> um, it's the need to keep a record, you know. So if I'm if I'm putting down my credit card, if I'm if I'm doing an important business transaction, I expect that there to be a receipt for that somewhere. Somebody needs to have a receipt, just like it would in the physical world. And we're just helping uh, API-driven companies kind of catch up to, to that message. And so, so as we learn more at this layer, we can always go back and check and build upon that knowledge. We have we have all of the receipts to be able to kind of do the accounting that's needed to move forward in a in an intelligent way as we learn and evolve in in how we see this layer. Absolutely, and one of the things that's so fun to to work at Resurface and kind of help people through this process is when when you see somebody for the first time. That, that has now this, this level of understanding about what's going on. Almost immediately, people start saying, well, why, why is that happening? What's, what's going on with that? Why is that returning that? What, what's the case um, where, where this is happening? And it, it's, it's funny, like it's something that we hear just, just over and over again. Like, I didn't really know what I didn't know about, about what was really going on, um, right? E even though, we know that it's it, just like if you're a property owner and someone comes onto your property and breaks their leg or gets hurt, you're kind of responsible even if you weren't. It, it's kind of the same thing being being an API provider. Um, and you know how how could you not like how, you know, especially if you these are these are business business facing transactions or or revenue bearing transactions. Um, you know it's 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 sad but it's true. Like a lot of the folks that we're talking to will say something like. We've got great coverage for our API, or we've got great coverage for our web properties, but for our APIs, we're we're really guessing. You know, we're relying on our customers to tell us when things are broken. Um, you know, that's that's just not not a great place to be. You 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 guys use a, a phrase uh, API system of record. It caught my attention I was, as I was looking through your your materials. What is what does that mean in this context, and how is it helpful? What it what it means is that we're really creating a database. We're creating a data platform um, that that keeps those records and and keeps those records intact. Um, the same way that a court reporter would try to keep a record intact of what's being said, you know, your your stenographer. Um, the other the other part about that term is we're we're trying to we're trying to position this in a way that that people kind of have a sense of what it is and, and also the sense that they don't already have one. Um, when you talk about, oh, we're a logging solution or we're a monitoring solution, it's really easy to say, oh, I've already got that. I've already got New Relic. I've already got Prometheus. Um, you know, I'm already monitoring the hardware. I'm, I'm all good. Um, and and to, to take that up a level, um, you know, is, is to say that, there are lots of cases where the systems may be working just fine, but they're doing the wrong thing. Like the outcome is wrong. Like they're available, they're performant, they're responding, but there's a percentage of cases where they're not doing the right thing. They may be losing the, the company money. They, they may be you know, really irritating people that are, that are trying to use them. But you look at your traditional system monitoring tools and everything looks green. And that's kind of how we got, how we got on this track is, my my first company, we were we were more of a traditional system monitoring company, and we started seeing all of these all of these cases. Um, another way of saying that system of record is there are all kinds of databases in the world. 
you know, there's there's OLAP databases and OLTP and graph databases and all these data, you know, Salesforce is the database for your, you know, your sales process, right? Um, but there isn't really a uh, highly used database today that's purpose built for API traffic that really natively understands those concepts of user privacy, user consent, security, um, understands things like JSON payloads, GraphQL payloads. Um, so what we're doing as an industry is we're taking big data tools and we're trying to overlay all those concerns on top. And of course, there's a lot of a lot of reinvention um, and and cost that that comes with that. So we believe it's 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 inevitable that there will be purpose-built databases um, for for this problem, observability problem specifically. And we we think Resurface is really the the first one that has a chance to make a lot of noise in that regard. Yeah, it's interesting because I mean observability is is been talked about pretty loudly for the last couple of years. It's it's pretty well known concept. Um, it, I don't think it's anything new. It's just the new way we're talking about look at it. Traceability is is definitely uh, along that lines. But your approach to the database piece, I would say, adds a a kind of provenance to the whole reality of this that I hadn't really seen before as far as now, not only are things observable and traceable, but you have that backwards in time that you're able to then connect the dots and make sense of things. Yeah, and that's something that we've, we've really focused on as a, a really key requirement that that's different really substantially different from what we're doing with resurface than really like any other kind of logging system that i've ever built before including the things that we did in our previous company which which we used at, at some giant accounts um it, it's the idea that that with a lot of logging and monitoring systems today you're making a lot of decisions up front about what is the data that you're capturing what are and then what are the specific signals that you're looking for you're 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 saying i'm going to do things based on response code i'm going to look for these specific um data elements and um uh, you know if i'm if i'm doing security um for example um i'm going to try to to plug in my my web application firewall so it's it's protecting me against those those certain data patterns that are that are malicious um at the end of the day though you you don't know what you don't know and and we know that zero day things are happening all over zero day failures as well as zero day attacks and so um, that's really what got us onto this idea that you need to be able to bring all the data into the system of record and then you need to be able to apply analysis rules that that retroactively apply to all of the data that you have so when a customer reports a problem and you're hearing that problem for the first time or when there's a new attack vector that you're considering, then you can you can very easily uh, apply that retroactively to all the data that you have. And and because the, the next question is gonna be, uh, that you're gonna have as soon as you find something new, is gonna be, well, how often has this been happening? Who's it been happening to? How severe is it? Um, and And with a real system of record, you can actually connect all those dots. Um, you you can say you know these are the people who who were were actually impacted by this failure and this is what they were trying to do um the, the, this is the this is the the payloads that they were trying to send these are the transactions that they were trying to complete and we can now go back in time and complete those transactions because we because we have the record um and that's really uh, you know that's really our, our you know our our origin story um, around this whole thing is if if you're an APM product if you're a system monitoring product you can detect a problem but you can't detect who was affected and that's really what has got got us going with resurface was the idea that um, I can not just find a problem but then I can do a query out of the database and I can tell me who it'll tell me who was actually affected by that problem, then I can go back to those customers and actually make it right. Yeah, that's that's pretty rich. I could see really having a business impact. Folks, you, you mentioned security and brought this into the security side of it. When I talk to a lot of folks about their APIs and security, they're like, 
Well, we have uh, MuleSoft or Apogee. You have to have a key to get access to our API. So thus it's secure. People can't access yeah. it. And then the second part of that you know, evolution. So that was 2010 through 2016. 2016 through 18, 19, they're like, well, okay, we're we're scanning for OWASP top 10, you know, vulnerabilities. We're making sure there's no holes in that, you know, so you have to have a key and there's no holes getting in. But what you're telling me is is there's there's a lot more awareness that can be harvested at that layer uh, over time. And then as we progress in that, that retroactively we can we can look back and and see how things how how secure we've been or not and actually understand you know how we got here yeah and and i think you know really what you're getting to there is it, it's a it's a fundamental shift in what we consider private versus public you know, what we consider to be gated access versus ungated or, or even what that gating really means. Um, when you're when you're going, you know, if you're a bank, for example, um, we're talking to to a couple of banks um, there, you know, they're they're moving from website based properties to more more of APIs. And in the process of doing that, they're expanding their surface area. They're they're expanding. Um, how how much of their systems are actually exposed to the outside world so it's it's not just the customers now it's the partners it's the lenders it's it's their it's all the other vendors it's it's everyone trying to resell loans it's um and there's tremendous value from the business side there's tremendous value with with the more that you can open up um the more opportunities there are to to monetize those systems and that's you know incredibly attractive um, to think about taking your existing systems and you know getting more money out of them, and but but what but I think what's fundamentally different in in what I've seen over the time frame that you talked about is how prevalent these attacks are, and how that really changes the nature of how we have to think about our systems. I mean, when I first started doing websites and web systems, you know, 20 years ago, um, attacks were relatively rare. Um, they they were they were kind of ornate when they happened. It was kind of it was kind of you know interesting when they happened. It was novel when it happened. Um, and now it's a it's a constant state of life. Um, you know, half of your traffic or more is going to be bots or malicious actors. You know, in in 2021, and and that's just that's just the the state of of things and it's not really going back to where it was um you know the the hackers are engineers too some of them are state funded they're highly organized um and they're serious about advancing their craft as as much as the the white hats are are about securing theirs so so think about it this way like so how would we map that to something in the physical world um let's say that you're a bank for example, and you're running a physical branch office, how would you think about your bank differently if you were thinking about getting robbed once in a while versus thinking that half of the people that walk in through the bank are there to rob you? Um, you, you, would, you would have to conduct business very differently in that scenario, right? And unfortunately, what we see too much today is people running their banks they don't have the surveillance cameras inside, right? So that's mm -hmm. the observability solution. They're missing that part. Um, they're they're really just sticking to perimeter security, um, and 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 then the perimeter security is you know you've you've got a bouncer at the door that that's trying to look at people and see if they're if they're there to rob the place or not. Um, is it really is it really no surprise that that cybersecurity is kind of in in the state? That it is, and I don't mean to impugn anyone in in saying that, but I think we've just we've taken that idea of of perimeter security and inside versus outside, and and that being kind of a binary flag. You know, can I trust you or not? Um, it, we we really really have to move beyond that to a much more contextual um, kind of notion. Um, the same way that we have to talk about privacy in a very contextual way. Um, 
you know, if I'm just if I'm just walking around uh, a store, maybe I feel weird about that being recorded and, and I might I might have an issue with that. But as soon as I walk to the register and I put down my credit card, I, I want a record of that transaction. I don't want that to be anonymous. Like I want there to be a permanent record mm -hmm. of that. Um, so I think all these notions of, you know, privacy, security, they, they've become a lot more muddy and um, and just kind of the one size fits all solution of, you know, perimeter security will just keep all the bad folks out. I mean, you can see the appeal, right? I mean, it sounds easy. It sounds sounds very reasonable. Um, but think about that. Think about that bank, that bank analogy, right? If, if half the people are there to rob you, um, you you're going to have to you're going to have to shift your thinking about about your operations. Well, and how does that apply to all your bank employees and your bank partners and, you know, that know your bouncer at the front door like, hey, hey, Bob, how you doing? Walk in. I'm not going to rob the place. You know, like you need to like zero trust back to what you were saying earlier on is we need to. And I think this is one of the biggest lessons out of the web, the the, the website world is is there was still kind of and even the mobile. There's this thin veneer of of WAF firewall. Oh, right. We're protected. Oh, we, we're behind a website. Our data, our resources are behind this website. Oh, we're we're behind a mobile app. You know, the number of people I go, I talk to are like, do you have any public APIs? And they're like, oh, no, no. And I reverse engineer, <laughs> you know, I take download their mobile application. I run it through a proxy, print out their entire API surface area and go, well, you got a couple hundred API endpoints here. How are you securing those? And they're, they're like, where'd you get that? Did you hack our app? I'm like, no, it's it's public APIs. You're using public DNS. And so that that they're like, well, we secure our mobile app. I'm like, great, that's good. I, I support yeah. that. But how are you securing your APIs? Or if you're not even seeing these APIs, I came in from the outside and showed you these APIs. What sort of observability or traceability or system of record do you have for activity at this layer? Absolutely. Yeah, I mean, that's the that's the Peloton attack, right? Yeah. Um, I mean, that's this is happening quite a bit. It's funny. I, I've had the same experience. You, you'll meet someone and, and, you'll, and, you'll, and they'll say, what are you doing? Well, well, we're an API monitoring company. Oh, that's interesting. Maybe, maybe we'll have some APIs someday. You know, that's really mm -hmm. forward looking. And then, and then you say, well, you know, do you have a, you know, do you have any third parties that, that do any integrations or do you have a website or do you have a, a mobile app that calls a backend? And they're like, oh yeah, of course we've, we've got a backend that our mobile apps use. It's like, oh, well, <laughs> there you go. <laughs> Yeah, yeah. People just don't see, um, and see being the critical here. I think this is is the part of observability. Is if you don't see it, it doesn't really exist. And there's so much in the in the in the digital realm that we don't see on a daily basis. So thus, it doesn't exist. And so the more observability, and this is this was the balance that I saw with APIs. You know, so I'm I'm an old database guy. Go back, going back to the '80s. Uh, and when APIs, you know, service-oriented architecture, but then once web APIs, 2004, 2005, I saw this, this externalization of what was very much a power center in, in a traditional org, as a and we were poking holes in that and, and opening it up to partners and even public, and that, that changed the business game. It gave us a little bit more agility and flexibility to do things, and but it was striking a balance between access and, and control over our digital assets. And we were making some trade-offs and opening up the access so we could move faster and do things. So do you feel, how, how does what resurface do kind of contribute to this agility and this, this ability for a business to be able to move faster? That's really what it's all about in the end. Um, the thing that we're really, what we're really trying to move the needle on is the idea that when there's an attack or when there's when there's something wrong um especially around security that that the outcome should be to reinforce the perimeter um it it doesn't work right um the the, the better outcome to get to is to improve the system to better resist or improve the system for better quality um you know all of these are ultimately design problems 
you know, it's technologists created all these problems. It's, it's up to technology to, to solve the problems. And again, that, that observe that lack of observability, it even hinders if you're trying to do perimeter security, it even hinders that. One of the things we hear a lot is not a lot of confidence that the web application firewalls are actually configured right. You know, you've got you've got all the rules that you feed into. Who's keeping those in sync with the applications as the applications change? I mean, that's a whole job unto itself. The the WAFs don't do historically don't do a great job of logging everything with enough context to really understand. You here is the thing that got blocked. Here's all the things you know about it in case you want to revisit what that is, right? So I'm shocked the number of folks that I talk to that are actually running their WAFs in non-blocking mode, just reporting mode instead of blocking mode, um, because they don't feel like they have a great continuous improvement process around it. And then they're also terrified of the false positives. Like the you know, the 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 risk or the damage of a false positive is is almost seen as more immediate a threat. Than, than a bad actor getting in and, and somehow figuring something out. Um, so again, what, what we're really trying to do with Resurface is provide that the, the data and the insight to really drive that continuous improvement engine. So with, with something like Resurface, um, we're going to tell you on a daily basis, these are the top things that you should be looking at to improve your quality, to improve your security. You know, there, there's probably all kinds of other things going on it's about being able to, to whittle that down to these are the most kind these are the most severe kinds of failures and attacks that you really should be responding to and the response to that could be to improve your WAF like maybe maybe you do just want to block that or or block either block the source or, or block it um, at the perimeter okay well now you actually know what the cases are that you want to block against and you can detect a recurrence of that. If you think you've fixed your firewall and there's still cases where that's coming through, let's now have the, the, the records that we need to go back and harden that. And it's exactly the same workflow if you have a failure um, or uh, 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 you want to change the, the behavior of the system. Um, one of the analogies that we use, you know, let's say, let's say your system is seeing a lot of SQL injection attacks, you know, classic OWASP top 10, Kind of signature. Um, what makes more sense? Do, do you do you want to block the actor, or do you want to harden your system so that your system just ignores that that bad stuff and doesn't leak any data? Um, sometimes it's an account management um, uh, response that comes out of it. It's it's hey, did you know this customer is still hanging on to that deprecated API? You know, can we can we can we get them off of that somehow? Um, so again, it's it's not just about being a better bouncer and, and managing the perimeter better. Um, I mean, although we can contribute to that, but I think really the, the narrative that we're following is once you, once you can see every input and every output to the system, and once you can start to separate signal from noise, these are the attackers, these are the proper users, these are the failures, these are the known signatures, these are zero day, um, you, you can really turn that into more of an organizational mission than just you know trying to play whack-a-mole at the at the uh, at the security level. Well, and this is, I mean, we're you and I've been heavily focused on the security aspect of this and like the, you know, the dangers and and we can easily get caught in this trap where we see things as dangers and oh block that person block that and and you're saying you know we need to be more aware and make the system more resilient. There's also a lot to learn at this level. I would say one of the early API conversations that got me really excited about the potential of APIs is, um, I can't remember their names, but they were two Swedish brothers. So they started Google Maps and they, the company that did Google Maps got acquired by Google and they had that JavaScript API that you could embed the little maps and they were designing the API for Google Maps at this point. And they were like, you know, classic techno, we go back and we design the API, but then they started tuning into how people were hacking the JavaScript embeddable and tuning into those parameters they were using, the way they were doing it, and noticed there was a bunch of really crafty people that could have been seen as a threat, but they were actually doing very interesting things. And if they just had a more robust API, they they you know 
these could be partners. These could be people who are who could do interesting business outcomes with the API. So they just ended up watching this activity for like 30, 60 days. And then they designed the Google Maps API. So it's not just about threats or what we perceive as threats. You could develop all kinds of other awareness at this layer as well. Absolutely. Absolutely. I mean, so much of so so many of these problems like really start at the design phase. And and when you think about, you know, when you think about the the whole software development life cycle, um, you've got you've got developers that are trying to do the right thing, but what they actually see is the code running on their laptop. Um, you know, especially like pre DevOps, right? Like as a developer, I never got access to production systems like that. That started to shift with with DevOps. But traditionally, you know, development's kind of in the dark. I mean, you're doing you're doing your best, um, but you have very, very limited raw information about what's going on. You're relying on your product management team. You're relying on your executive team um, to, to kind of fill in all that. You know, take take the next step. You know, you've got QA. QA also is doing the same thing. Like they're trying to do the best thing that they can in isolation. They're working off the requirements. They're working off of the latest builds. But so far, everyone's just guessing. Like nobody actually has any raw intel. Um, how often is it that developers actually sit down and do an end user uh, survey or study like on their own and see the see the first party data? Do your, do your QA people actually get to interview your customers and find out what they're doing and what they aren't doing? No, they're they're doing their best, um, you know, and they're and they're trying to gatekeep on on that information as much as they can and and be be responsible for for representing that. But what's the raw intel that they have? Um, it it means an over reliance on on customer support, account management, product management to represent the customer, and you're playing telephone, right? Exactly to your point, it's it's entirely different when you've got an open way to gather and inspect and discover what those behaviors actually are. And it's such a key part of the just the general design phase, right? You're supposed to design something and then put it in the hands of someone and watch what they do. And, and you'll learn a lot out of that that, that maybe didn't occur to you. Um, we don't have enough of that kind of feedback in the software development lifecycle in general, I think. And not to make this all about security, but I think security is, is like the one that is the most obvious, right? That you've got your security people running around saying, we need to have our developers care more about security. Well, what does that really mean if you aren't kind of giving them, you know, if, if all that I see as a developer is what works on my machine, and I never see what an attack actually looks like. I never see how the system actually responds to that kind of attack. Can I really design with that in mind? I can do my best. Um, but like I was saying earlier, like that's been the most fun part about Resurface is literally watching that moment where, where people grasp like, oh, like I, I kind of had no idea that this was going on um, and going on in volume. Um, and now that I've got this you know, flight recorder, I've got this system of record, now suddenly I can see it. And how often those things are like relatively trivial, like, oh, I, I, could, just, I could just go and I'll file a ticket for that right now and, and get it fixed. Um, and and you, you, you come to find, you know, it's been broken for months. Um, <laughs> so there's, there's a whole, there's a oh, whole sorry, DevOps sh shift left kind of aspect to this, this observability layer that you're introducing. It's not just me, product lead or, or command and control. This is something my entire team can have access to and learn from and, 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 and evolve based upon. Yeah, what what we're doing it's it's role it's role based, um, so it's not it's not like you know you're you're just creating uh, it's not like you're erasing trying to erase all the boundaries within the organization, right? There still is certain kinds of information needs to be partitioned off, um, you know, cer certain kinds of of data needs needs to be protected more than others. Um, you know, there's there's no real one size fits all solution um, uh, uh, to this, and and really, it's 
it, it's things like Hiram's law that that kick in, right? You 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 do your best to design something, just like you were saying with the the Google Maps analogy. You design something, you put it out in the world, and a lot of times you find that the way it's actually used is slightly or substantially different than what you expected. You know, the users don't have exactly that priority in mind. They they see a different potential. Um, and, and they end up kind of shifting their usage patterns to that. You know, whether that's good or bad, you know, sometimes it's bad. Um, but, what's, but what's really bad is if you, is if you really don't know. Um, you know, it, it's really um, about gaining a, a, a deeper level of understanding um, and doing that in a way that, that's safe and responsible um, and still fits within those traditional roles. So, you know, we still expect that a security analyst is mostly interested in security and developers are mostly interested in building new things and making those things better. The trick is really to map to the existing processes and the and, that are already there within within the organization. Again, I'll pick a security example just because it's an easy one. But I think I think one of one of the examples is instead of just asking your developers to care about security, let's put a code scanning tool in as part of your CI/CD pipeline. Now it's not an extra thing that I have to care about. It's a quality measure that's going to be applied as part of my continuous integration process. We see resurface very much in the same vein from that perspective. So resurface is kind of like a linter that's running all the time in production. We've got hundreds of inspections that we'll run against your APIs all the time as new data arrives. Some of those are around security, some of those are around quality, some of those are around usage and profiling. And then um, if you're a developer, you're gonna get notifications in Slack or, or Microsoft Teams where you already live. Here's, here's some top of mind things that you should be paying attention to. If it's security, we're gonna fit that to your, your existing you know, SIMS or um, kind, kind of stack. So, uh, you know, I think the way the way to really get this on a good fitting or good footing is you you really want to find a way to introduce these things as very incremental changes on top of the processes that that we already have. And it's not that I want you to care about security. It's that I want I want to be sure that you're spending time on security every day. I just I want it to be something that you're thinking about. I don't want that field to go untended. Um, and and once we get into that that continuous in a, a continuous improvement mindset and and can drive that kind of continuous improvement um, workflows, um, things things just get better and better. And and if you can tie if you can tie very clear ROI to that. Um, then, then you, you can really get somewhere pretty quickly. Yeah, it sounds like there's a nice, healthy dose of drip, drip, drip literacy and education and awareness, whether it's security or other aspects of, of our API operations there that we can expose the whole team to or a, a specific set and notify them and, and kind of alert them based upon their existing world. And they're not just like, you know, immediately bombarded with security flashes that they know nothing about. They're 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 eased into it, and that with that awareness comes comes uh you know the ability to actually do something and and have it impact how they actually do business. I like that. I think that that education and awareness because you just can't turn on everyone caring about security overnight. You, you know, you have to bring it home. You know, in some way, and this is. I would say for APIs in my realm is how do I get people to care about and see APIs? Because I'm constantly saying, you know, APIs are beneath everything. I mean, there are cars, our television, and 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 then I look at people the way they look at me. You know, I'm at the barbecue and then, you know, at someone's house and they're like, this guy's crazy. Like, he's just like, <laughs> APIs everywhere, you know, like what's going on with them? I'm like, no, no, they really are, you know, and no one's going to care about APIs until they there's something there that is meaningful to them. So from a DevOps operational standpoint, something that impacts their job and, and makes them better, saves them work, stops them from getting yelled at or a freak out session because some security or something that they did that they did not, you know, 
And so I think th that that little that steady drip of knowledge and information there is is super important. So I, I, I like the approach. I think it's it's healthy. So moving out of the DevOps though, there's regulatory and compliance benefits here. I I can only assume. I'm sure you got you're in that business of helping alleviate the the auditors and 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 the government from being up in my in our business as well, right? Yeah, and and again, it's the the easy way to get compliance. Um, the 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 easy way to do that is is to find a way to do it that that fits with your existing processes, your existing workflows, um, your your existing tech. Um, uh, GDPR compliance is one of one of those good examples where it's it's kind of easy to say whether it's GDPR or CCPA or the the new Chinese version. It's like it's easy to say, oh, there's that's like a great idea, but I can't just like write a check and be be GDPR compliant. I can't just like buy a thing and be GDPR compliant. Um, the way that I could buy a radar a radon detector for my basement. And, and be assured that I'm in compliance with with my environmental hazards. Um, it's it's not that it's not that easy. And when you look at the when you look at the landscape today, um, you know, if I if I were to go to you as a as a technologist and say we've we've got this massive API at scale, now we need to record all this stuff for governance purposes. That sounds like a multi million dollar project. I mean, that sounds like it's big data. There's Hadoop is probably in there. Kafka is probably in there. Spark's probably in there. You're gonna have to hire people. Um, it's gonna be a total sidecar to, to whatever it is that you're already building. I mean, unless that's your core business, is that kind of compliance? It's it's all gonna be extra, right? And then you look around and you say, well, can I just buy Splunk? Can I just buy Elastic? Can I just buy like you can and you can spend a lot of money, but there's also a lot of assembly required. And there's just not enough out of the box intelligence. Um, it's not like you can just buy one of those tools and stuff just starts popping up for you to to you to start hammering down and um, or giving you that that long term um, uh, data storage. Um, the other thing about that, and again, this is specific to resurface, but I'll but I'll I'll shill for it here. We're also a first party solution, so we're we're actually providing you the software to run this kind of a system versus taking in all of your data as a SaaS. Um, and just that something on its own is very appealing from that regulatory uh, perspective. Mm -hmm. You know, whoever you share data with ends up being another kind of regulatory set of problems that you have to deal with. Um, I've talked to CTOs that, I talked to <laughs> I talked to two folks that said they'd done little else over the last year or so other than running down GDPR compliance waivers from everybody and and getting all the paperwork in place, right? Never improved the system at all. Um, just 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 to get compliant. So that's why with resurface, we've really geared our solution to say, you've got your existing APIs, you've got your existing API gateways, whatever that architecture looks like. We just want to be able to attach to that with very, very minimal changes, um, be able to build the system of record, and you just keep doing what you're doing. Um, you know, the, the worst thing is if, if caring about security or caring about compliance means I have to slow, I have to throw the brakes on everything else I'm doing and now become a security expert or a compliance expert overnight, you know, and we've all seen that from the development side, right? Your your executives are telling you, you know, you need to be doing this, you need to be doing that. And what's your response? Your response is, oh, well, should I just not do all the other stuff that you wanted me to do over the next year that, that we were already late on doing and, and you're going to ask me for more of that? Or do you want me to do the security or the compliance thing? Um, so it's, you know, one of the biggest challenges is that none of this is static. All of this is being changed all the time. We want to be able to increase the rate of change. Um, and so how do you how do you do all of that kind of at the same time? Um, you 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 have to you have to have better better tools and techniques. You know, we just won't have more hours in the day um, to to be able to to take that on. But I do think, you know, I do think GDPR, CCPA, I mean, some of the new regs that are coming out, I think I think they absolutely have 
the, the heart in the right place. Um, I think they also make some really good distinctions between what's necessary for first party data processing versus what's really nice to have from a third party perspective. Again, trying to trying to tap more into the, the real world context and and set some some better standards of care um, along a spectrum there, I think is um, you know, really a, really a step in the right direction. The response from the, the technical community though needs to be here are more turnkey solutions that you can just apply and kind of retrofit the systems that you already have versus having to start over or you know having to to you know assemble a big data team at very high expense um, to, to to solve that problem. I mean, if that's the answer, we're going to have problems for a long time. You know, we we know that security people are in short demand just as much as as big data people are in very short demand. People that really understand GDPR are in short demand. So if that's your strategy, that everyone in your team has to become experts in all those different areas, you know. Good luck with that. Um, much better to have a, a solution that that kind of takes more of a layered, measured approach. You know, we're not going to turn you into security expert overnight, but every day we'll give you an opportunity to to be better. When you're not outsourcing your your intellectual your 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 knowledge capacity, you're you're keeping it internal rather than just outsourcing or. Uh, opening up a Trojan horse and just giving all your data away, you're, you're, you're finding th that best balance. And I would say APIs, and this is a common theme with everyone I've interviewed for this show is APIs are about wrapping some, some capability and the technical, but also the business, the knowledge, the expertise, the teams behind wrapping it as an API, building SDKs and then other tooling on, and, and then integrations, as as you all have done with existing gateways, existing APM, you know, solutions, so people can can just keep doing what they're doing. But APIs allow us, you know, with Twilio, I don't have to become an expert on the whole telecom system. With Stripe, I don't have to become an expert on the payment system. And with when it comes to regular, well, security, but then also regulatory and compliance, you, we don't want to be experts in those areas. We want to stick doing as business owners, doing what we do best, and then being able to outsource those to professional teams, but still develop internal knowledge capacity as far as how it impacts our business and what's going on. So again, it's it's about that balance and and trying to to allow us to move forward without becoming experts in all these areas, but not just giving away the farm either. Yeah, one of the one of the best engineers I ever worked with just just always seemed to turn out code that was really awesome and really fast. And and at one point I had a conversation with him about like, you know, how do you feel about premature optimization? I mean, are are you like are you like spending a lot of time optimizing this code? Because it just it seems like whatever you come up with is is really fast. And and he was like, No, I just I just make a habit not to write stuff that's slow. <laughs> and it really just, you know, and it's like, I'm not, it's not like I'm going at, like, I'm never like going out of my way to do like extra benchmarking or like, you know, really like, like getting hung up on that. Like, I'm, I'm not like that much of a purist, but like, I just, I just don't as a habit do things that I know are crappy. And whether that's, whether that's performance or, or quality and behavior or security that's ultimately i think what we're really trying to to get to like is every developer really want to become a security expert probably not um do a lot of developers want to be part of the solution though and want to grow and want to be better engineers and be more valuable engineers in the future absolutely and you're a more valuable engineer if your habits aren't constantly introducing security problems or quality problems. But but if all that I see as a human is what works on my machine, right? And that's where the joke comes from. Um, it's really hard to, to, you know, as humans, it's hard to care about stuff that you can't see. You might have every good, good intention, but as far as really making that actionable and, and in a way that affects your, your daily life, you, you need that, that feedback loop. 
And I think that's why, um, you know, customer care and growth is kind of slowly merging with DevOps, um, security around DevSecOps, especially secure, you know, operational security is really merging together. And I think that's ultimately why, you know, when I went, started going through that process 10 years ago, you know, doing DevOps at places like Dell, it was amazing. Like as a developer, I'd never had access to those operational systems before. And as soon as we started to see, well, what is actually running in production? It's like, oh, I could optimize this. I could do that better. I could put this in. And I just never had seen it with, with my own eyes. And I know we've talked a lot about security on this session today, but that's really what's been exciting for me in the last year. I've To be exposed more to really what these attacks look like, how prevalent they are, how successful they are. Um, when you see it with your own eyes, it's like, wow, I, I really didn't know that half the people showing up here were, were here to rob me. And, and that's going to be a, a permanent, fundamental way, uh, a shift in, in how I'm thinking about you know, designing and rolling out my systems. And now I've got an appetite for, for more of that. I want to see, I wanna see how, how, how else these things can be abused. So we talked a lot about DevOps in the lower ends of the spectrum uh, on our operations. But when it comes to business leadership, do you do you think you know the folks we're targeting with this show? Do you think they need to care about APIs and 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 think about observability at the API layer, or is that something that that they shouldn't be thinking about? Well, again, to to put it to put it in the easiest real world terms. You know, could could you imagine running a bank with no ledger, no record keeping? Um, you're trusting all your employees to do the right thing. You've got a bouncer at the front door that you're hoping is going to keep out all the bad people. Um, if you're if you've got blocking turned off on your web application firewall, you don't even really have a bouncer, right? You're just kind of propping the door open and saying whoever wants to can come in. I mean, you, you, you would never imagine running a physical business that way. You, you, would, be, you would be laughed out of the room. The, the fact that we can't see API traffic um, like the way that we can see foot traffic in a business, I think that's kind of the thing that has to be bridged. But, but you know, when I'm talking to, to other CEOs or, or CTOs, um, that's kind of the message that I'm, that I'm leveling up to. You know, just, just like you were saying earlier, you you want more foot traffic. You're you're looking to increase that foot traffic. You're looking to increase the revenue that comes with that. You want more qualified customers showing up, buying stuff on their own. Um, there are all those benefits um, to to the C-suite. You know, there's new opportunities for partnerships. There's new opportunities around acquisitions. Um, there's opportunities to embed. There's opportunities to ex extend all those things um and but the fact that you can't see them that they're going over the wire um means we just have to turn it into something visible but the moment that you can turn it into something tangible um at least in our experience there there's an immediate appetite um, for that um it means any kind of operational reporting that i'm doing um now can be couched in terms of what's actually going on um, and there are really great notable examples of that. Like you mentioned, you know, the, the folks like the Twilio's and the SendGrids of the world, you know, the, the folks who are really like leading API first kinds of companies. Most of the company speaks in terms of API calls. It's this kind of call. It's that kind of call. It's this interface. It's that interface. Like that is the actual shape of the business. Um, it's a little harder to get to that mindset if you're from a traditional background, traditional company, and you're exposing some of those APIs out for, for the first time, but you have that same opportunity um, to, to get to that. And these things flip really fast. I mean, I remember when we first started working with folks like Expedia and Travelocity back in our web days, and, you know, 90% of the traffic would come in on the website and 10% would be on the API, and now it's flipped. You know, less than 10% of the traffic is through the AP, is through the website. All the traffic is through the APIs. Salesforce, another like classic historical example of that. All their traffic is completely flipped away from their websites. 
that was customer demand that that drove that as much as them them deciding to to make that change. Yeah, it's these are the stories we've I've been telling for years and we've been talking about, but they're really starting to make that impact when it comes to leadership. They're hearing it, they're seeing it. Those are the the solid examples that I'm using to to help convince people and change attitudes. So we're we're coming up on the hour here. Um, I kind of want to wind things down from the the, the deep technical and 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 the APIs. Um, when it when it comes to just staying aware of what's going on in the world, what do you do to 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 stay informed? Where do you get your information? Gosh, it's 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 such a hard problem. Um, so many sources of information. Um, you know, I think something that I'm doing, I'm personally doing a lot more than I've really ever done before is, is really trying to go direct to people working in the field who are experts, um, trying to get as much first party information as, as possible, trying to do as much of my own research as possible, you know, using using good trusted sources to kind of help help you help you guide on that. But but ultimately, you know, really trying to get to, to experts, you know, whether that's following the right podcasts, you know, or, uh, you know, diff different ways of, of doing that. Um, I think one thing, you know, for anybody like us who's doing an early stage company or an early stage venture, it's amazing how many doors will open that people actually want to help. You know, when you reach out founder to founder and you have a question or you're trying to learn something, you know, teach me about this. It's it's really amazing when when you reach out to someone, um, even though you're reaching out to, you know, everybody's busy, everybody's got too much to do. But but when you really reach out founder to founder or expert to expert and say, hey, I'm I'm really trying to wrap my head around X, you know, could you take just 10 minutes and let me let me pick your brain about this. My experience is about 80% of the time people will say yes, even if they don't know you in advance, which is kind of amazing. Um, you know, especially in the entrepreneurial community, anybody who's been a founder, even if they've been a founder in a previous life or maybe hope to be one in the future, um, a lot of people will take, they'll share their their knowledge, they'll, they'll share their, their expertise. Um, so yeah, I mean, it's, it's as it's as hard as it's it's harder than ever with the amount of information out there to to really find out what's what's the best. Um, but I think you know to to hear it from from the people who are really trying to solve the problems and really hearing like what is the full context around that like what is like you're doing X you're doing Y but but what is it that's driving you to do that What's the context of what you're trying to solve for or Tell me about the world that you live in and why why you're reacting that way. Um, and it, it's it's really amazing what what people will will open up. Um, but you but you got to ask, you got to reach out. I know a lot of developers are mildly to severely introverted, so like thinking about calling for help or getting a lifeline is not necessarily you know, top of mind, it's a lot easier just to do a Google search and, you know, see what's on Stack Overflow or whatever. Um, but if, you know, but if you're really trying to understand what's going on right now and and what's happening in the next few months, like there's really no better substitute than than just trying to find friendly folks that will give you the answers. I, I think you, you just summed it up well for me, you know, in building this show, I'm doing lots of research and I'm reaching out to CTOs and CEOs of startups, hence you, um, and then product managers and engineering managers at larger enterprise organizations to understand how, you know, how they're seeing things on the ground within their operations. And that's, that's, you know, I'm stalking and trolling people on LinkedIn pretty heavily and, and just reaching out. And I'm amazed it's the same. Like sometimes it takes a while for someone to respond because we're all very busy. But I would say about 70, 75% of people I reach out to are like, sure, I'd love to talk event-driven architecture with you. I'd love to. And a lot of the conversations I'm having are just brainstorm sessions, and I'm not even getting them on an episode. I'm just uh, learning more about how they do things. And if they're interested, if they're 
you know, a little more extroverted and, and, and their company allows, um, then I'll, I work to get them on the show. And, and ultimately that's how I meet folks like you. So it, I think it's a pretty good advice. It's the, it's the timeliness, right? Is the, the most important thing. That's why I really enjoy programs like this because you can look at what's happened historically. You know, you can read the books, you can read the accounts, you can do all that stuff. But the fact of the matter is, especially when it comes to, to what's happening online, you know, the future is not going to look like the past. What's happening right now doesn't even look like the past. So really, really getting plugged into what's going on right now is is super critical. Agreed. Well, I think that's a perfect note to end this on. Um, great advice. Uh, thanks for all your insight when it comes to observability at the API layer. Um, I think the system of record is pretty critical for us, you know, trying to understand how how we're getting to where we're getting with each kind of iteration and evolution of our operations. So uh, thanks for taking the time today. I really appreciate it. Thanks. Thanks for having me and lots more information at resurface.io. Just give that little plug. <laughs> yeah, uh, no problem. I'm happy to plug it. So thanks. And, uh, and maybe we'll, you know, as we, we're going to go into season two uh, sometime this winter. Um, but in the future, I'm looking to kind of pull people back in for little, 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 little uh, interviews and little pieces, you know, little nuggets that we can add to, to keep the conversation going. So I'll, I'll be reaching out. Love to. Yeah. All righty. Enjoy the rest of your day. All right. Thanks so much.